This is Boss Talk, and I'm Michael, senior labor reporter at Payday Report. Each week, my co-host and I, University of Wyoming labor law professor Mike Duff, will talk about ways in which workers were able to fix their boss through organizing and labor law tactics. My guest on the show this week is Joseph Cohen. He's the executive director of the ACLU of West Virginia. He formerly worked as the general counsel at the United Electrical Workers UE, where he worked with my father. Joseph is an experienced labor lawyer, and he's taking on a fascinating case in West Virginia. He's taking on the case of an officer who was fired for refusing to shoot someone. Joseph, what happened in this case? So our client's name is Stephen Mater. He was a police officer in the Weirton, West Virginia Police Department. On the early morning hours of May 6th of last year, Officer Mater received a call of a domestic disturbance in Weirton. When he responded to the call, he encountered a young African-American man named R.J. Williams. Mr. Williams had his hands sort of behind his back, and so Officer Mater asked to see his hands. Initially, R.J. Williams refused to show his hands, and then when he complied with Officer Mater's request, Officer Mater could see that R.J. Williams was holding a silver pistol in his hand. At that point, my client, Officer Mater, pulled his gun and ordered R.J. Williams, drop your weapon, drop your weapon. Mr. Williams said, I can't do that, just shoot me. And he repeated over and over again, just shoot me, just shoot me. A light bulb went off in Officer Mater's head that said that R.J. Williams was not a threat to anybody else. He wasn't going to harm Officer Mater or anybody else. Officer Mater deduced that R.J. Williams was suicidal, that he was attempting to commit suicide by cop. So when Officer Mater made that determination that R.J. Williams was not a threat to anyone else, he decided to try to de-escalate the situation. He calmed his voice, looked R.J. Williams in the eye and said, I'm not going to shoot you, brother. I'm not going to shoot you. He continued to attempt to de-escalate the situation. In the meantime, R.J. Williams' girlfriend called 911. She told the 911 dispatcher that her boyfriend, R.J. Williams, had a gun, but that it was unloaded and that he was trying to get the police to kill him. Uh, The 911 dispatcher only relayed that R.J. Williams had a gun. Two other officers arrived on the scene, and when they arrived, R.J. Williams raised uh, his weapon At that point, one of the officers shot and killed R.J. Williams. When Officer Mater and the other officers went to check on Mr. Williams, they discovered that he was dead, but they also discovered that his gun was, in fact, unloaded. This is a horrible tragedy that we've heard stories like this time and again in this country. But what makes this case somewhat different than the other cases is that a few weeks later, our client, Officer Mater, was fired by the Weirton Police Department for not shooting and killing R.J. Williams. So what legal grounds are you suing uh, on in this situation? Well, we have a number of causes of action, but I think the, the one that is most important for us to talk about and the one that people are most interested in is that we believe that Officer Mater was terminated in violation of West Virginia public policy. So the cause of action is wrongful termination in violation of, pu- of public policy. How often do you think things like this happen, Joseph, that uh, cops are, I I hear often sometimes from police that there's a bully culture that exists within police departments and that police feel a lot of pressure uh, to, to, to be more aggressive in these kind of situations exactly because of this kind of behavior. We're not aware of any other situations where there was a, a, there, there's been a lawsuit filed after an officer was fired for not shooting somebody. We haven't seen other lawsuits like this in the past. But we do know that the culture in some police departments in the country, and it certainly appears if you know the facts surrounding the case 
of the Weirton Police Department, that the culture in policing, for example, in Weirton, is this sort of warrior mentality where it appears to be the police against the community. And we are attempting to change that culture. So one of the things that we that the ACLU of West Virginia is looking for out of this case and all the work we're doing, one of the reasons we got involved in this case is we would like to honor the legacy of R.J. Williams, this young man who was killed by attempting to reform police departments around the state. We think that this case gives an, a powerful platform for trying to have police departments in, invest in things like de-escalation training, implicit bias training, um, training for dealing with people with mental health crises. We need to fight this culture of insularity and hostility towards the community that is in some, certainly not all, but in some police departments in our state and across the country. Now, Joseph, there are some people on the left that argue that um, police shouldn't have the right to collective bargaining rights. There are some types on the left that argue this. Uh, But wouldn't there also be some people that argue that Police should have the right to collective bargaining and to union protections because of a situation just like this. You know, everybody has the, the freedom to associate. I, to, to take away somebody's right to freely associate, it's obviously a constitutional violation, human rights violation, and completely inappropriate, I think. In terms of collective bargaining rights, you're right. I mean, the, the vast majority of police officers in this country are trying to do the right thing. I mean, I, I, think, that's, I think that's a fair assessment. And giving those rank-and-file police officers who want to do the right thing more power in, in, in their own working conditions, I think, could hopefully rectify some of these problems. But with collective bargaining comes more transparency for the community as well. And I, and I, think, I think we would want that. Mike uh, Duff, you're an experienced labor lawyer. What do you think of a case like this? Well, I think uh, what's especially interesting is that courts are accustomed to deferring to the decisions of employers uh, with respect to at-will uh, employment uh, scenarios. And, of course, we have, as I understand, the officer here was uh, was a probationary employee. So the customary way that a court would look at something like this is, is to be very deferential with respect to the employer's justification for discharging uh, the officer. But I think what's especially odd and tragic about this is that the policy, I mean, if you step back and you ask yourself, well, what was the policy that this officer violated? And you get into this kind of complicated logical situation where, well, the policy appeared to have been that in this situation, you you shoot and you kill, presumably. And so here we have someone who is discharged for refusing to violate the constitutional rights of another person. And so that's why you have the commingling of constitutional and employment law issues here. That on the one hand, courts are really kind of conditioned to sort of defer to legitimate business justifications for firing employees. But here, come on. If the reason you're firing this person is because uh, they didn't uh, automatically shoot to kill because they had superior training and uh, could de-escalate a situation, I mean, that's really kind of a, um, a mind-numbing uh, fact pattern. And, uh, and so I think it's an astounding case, really. To, to piggyback off of what Mike just said, the real reason the ACLU got involved in this case, the real um, civil liberties issue that's involved here is that Officer Mader made this very reasonable and articulable determination that R.J. Williams was no threat to others, that he was suicidal. And once Officer Mader made that determination that R.J. Williams was not a threat to others, 
he was not constitutionally permitted to shoot and kill R.J. Williams. Um, <laughs> once an officer, you know, an officer is only allowed to use deadly force if he has probable cause to believe that there is an imminent threat to serious bodily harm to himself or herself or another individual. Officer Mader made the opposite determination. If he had, after making that reasonable determination that R.J. Williams was no threat to others, and the objectively correct determination that R.J. Williams was no threat to others, because remember, his gun was unloaded, once he made that determination, not only was he not permitted to shoot R.J. Williams, he could have gone to prison for shooting somebody that he determined was no threat. In, in essence, Officer Mader was fired for not violating R.J. Williams' right not to be shot. And... That's sort of once you have this constitutional requirement that you're being fired for protecting someone's constitutional rights, especially a police officer. That's why we think that there's a, a strong ground for indicating that he could not be terminated under these circumstances under West Virginia public policy. Now, but a case like this will obviously take a while. How long do you think it will take for something like this to work its way through the court system? If this case is fully litigated, it could take years. I mean, so we're preparing to ride this out for as long as we need to. And what's officer? What's the officer's family doing in the meanwhile? Has he found another job? Yeah, he has. So certainly wouldn't be easy to be a police officer in West Virginia right now for Officer Mater. His name has been dragged through the mud by the Weirton Police Department. So he is, uh, he went to work, well, first he's a military policeman in the West Virginia National Guard, but his day job, his full-time job is he is a diesel mechanic and he's supporting his family as a diesel mechanic currently. Mike, isn't this one of the big drawbacks of labor law in this country that often people can't litigate in these situations because when you lose your job, you know, often they pressure you into signing severance packages and doing things like this. How unusual is it that when somebody gets unfairly fired that they're actually able to go to court? Before I answer that question, I just wanted to make a comment about how, how ironic it is in a situation like this. We, we are conditioned to respect the decisions that officers make in uh, scenarios of a high stress, life-threatening scenarios. And so customarily, we're, we're saying, and I think justifiably so, well, what would you do in this situation, right? And uh, we're accustomed to saying, well, if deadly force had to be used, we certainly understand that. Depending on the uh, circumstances, it's a uh, touch and go situation. Now, here is an officer that uses uh, advanced training, makes that kind of decision, avoids uh, having to kill someone and is uh, penalized for an exercise of positive judgment. To answer your question, Mike, I think that the, uh, the legal system takes time. And the reality of litigation is that not everybody can wait out cases. They uh, it can take uh, years as the cases wind their way through an administrative process very often and then to courts, uh, trial level, appellate level, and so forth, and, and maybe even uh, state uh, Supreme Court level and U.S. Supreme Court level. It's quite common for fully litigated cases to take years to work their way through the system. And this justifiably raises in many people's minds the question of whether there is uh, de facto access to justice in these kinds of situations. And I think it's a very legitimate question to be asking. And it's always a huge burden on families that are, uh, in, in, in a real way, caught in suspense as this uh, drama is playing itself out. This is, in a very concrete way, this is a... a an employment law case. I mean, that's exactly what this is. But it, obviously, the underlying issues surrounding this case are much, much deeper than our client's termination. 
Uh, at the end of the day, this case is about a young African-American man who is now dead. He's dead because of a, a number of factors. Officer Mader's termination is part of and needs to be part of the larger dialogue we're having in this country about policing. Here's an officer who did everything we would want. He found himself in this incredibly tense situation, and he did not just see an African-American man or even a person holding a gun. He was able to see the whole situation, and based on Mr. Williams' demeanor and his actions, his body language, he deduced that R.J. Williams was no threat. And he did not shoot him, which is the right thing to do when you find someone's not a threat. And we believe that Officer Mater did everything we want our police officers to do. He tried to save R.J. Williams' life. And he should be honored for that. And the notion that he would be fired for failing to kill someone he did not deem to be a threat, I think it violates everything that we as a people want to stand for. You made a, a reference to uh, collective bargaining rights. And uh, one thing that I would uh, emphasize is that the, the key component in a collective bargaining agreement is a grievance arbitration process, which presumes that someone was discharged for just cause. So in other words, you can still talk about the idea of justice, you know, whether in a particular situation someone should have been discharged based on the justice of or the lack of justice in the surrounding facts. And I have a hard time believing that if a case like this went to an arbitrator, that the discharge would be upheld. Well, thanks for joining us this week on Boss Talk. Uh, it's been a great being here with everyone, and we'll keep everyone updated on what's happening with the situation. Boss Talk is a work in progress, much like the rest of the labor movement. And we, like the rest of the labor movement, depend on our members, our readers, those who listen to us, to give us the energy to keep building. And, and we're here to be a publication for you as readers. Let us know what you think about this, and we'll keep listening to you, and we'll keep putting out a show with some of the most interesting perspectives on labor law this week. 